0: everyone welcome to the first episode of the revenue stack podcast we've gone through a bit of an evolution from our uh, previous series which was short-lived but uh, it felt like the right direction with the uh, intelligence ip and discussions that we've been hosting uh, not only on the podcast but for many years in our agency and across my professional career and i've essentially uh, i've created this podcast to host Uh, a number of discussions around marketing and sales in B2B companies and how you can create strategies to build a revenue stack that drives high growth in some of the most successful companies. Uh, I'll be hosting a number of discussions around marketing sales and leadership topics, particularly the convergence uh, of the three, with a specific focus on building revenue pipeline. My goal is to enable you to build revenue programs that create a substantial pipeline, but also to have conversations that enable you to get everyone in the company, get every function in the company on the same page, speaking the same language, setting powerful objectives, adopting a process of revenue innovation that creates sustainable revenue and profit growth. And going forward, we're gonna be hosting these these discussions uh, at least once a week at this stage. Uh, and we're going to be, on some of the episodes, we'll have guests that join us, others will do deep dives. Uh, today's conversation where uh, I wanted to reflect on the lessons that I've learned over the years and the things that I wish I'd known many, many years ago when I started in B2B marketing or really any in any B2B environment, uh, having come from a sales background. And these are these are things that have become pillars for the way that I operate uh, my own businesses, the way I consult with people, the, uh, the uh, success that my team has driven for the companies that we've consulted over the years. And if I had to go back and speak to a younger self, these are essentially the nine things that I would uh, really double down on and adopt as part of my system strategies and processes. So I wanted to share these with you. Today's a discussion that's quite high level and over the coming weeks we'll be going through some deep dives into these topics. So tune in for those. So uh, without delaying any further let's get into the first conversation which is uh, the lesson that marketing's role in any company is to drive revenue but marketing cannot own revenue. The, The goal of marketing is ultimately to drive revenue in every environment irrespective of whether you're B2B, B2C, where you're operating. But I guess this is something I really adopted through, this is a learning I really picked up through my agency years in that you cannot own revenue. To drive revenue growth, every function of your company has to operate in tandem in an effective way so that you push the company forward. You appease the customers, you attract the right customers, sales team does their bit, finance and ops play their roles. It's the convergence of each one of these functions working in harmony. However, we have to recognize that The role of marketing is to drive revenue so we can look at uh, when you when you talk to your leadership you go to your ceo and uh, you have a discussion around what's happening in the marketing and the ceo then has to go to report to the board or the broader team the wider leadership at the end of the day there are lots of projects and initiatives that we are concerned with that we care about But ultimately, what we're looking for, what leadership is looking for, is forward momentum in revenue growth. Either at some point now or some point in the future, they are looking for forward momentum in their profitability growth. We are looking to raise income, reduce costs, and marketing is a function that essentially needs to attract customers and enable the flow of those customers throughout the company as effectively as possible. So then, if the goal is to drive revenue, there's really two things you need to be focused on, and that's volume of your revenue pipeline and the velocity of revenue pipeline. And that brings me to the second thing, uh, the, the second lesson that I wanted to talk about today, and that's that you live and die, your company lives and dies by the metrics that you set or manage your business by. And in marketing, that's particularly important. When it comes to the conversation of revenue, we have to understand and reflect on the metrics that will drive the volume and velocity of your revenue pipeline. The most typical conversations inside a company of any kind, uh, especially in the marketing context, is uh, leadership or sales has passed out an objective. These, these are the number of leads or inquiries that we need and these are the types of customers we want to work with. Go out, do your thing, spin your magic, bring us the, bring us the work, bring us the demand, as we like to call it. The first challenge with this is that often when you're driving leads and inquiries, in many of the teams that I've worked with, in fact, most, what you're practicing is true lead generation and not demand generation. We are not creating demand in the minds of the customer. But uh, if you've spent any time in the B2B marketing space, I think this is a conversation that we're all now somewhat familiar with. In order, now taking a deeper dive into that, uh, into the metrics conversation, in order to optimize our marketing ecosystem, for the benefit of the sales team, for the benefit of the company, product, operations, for the benefit of the leadership's objectives, we have to consider how our marketing is influencing the customer's or the prospect's behavior when they end up in our pipeline. How quickly are they moving through the pipeline? And of course, you know, your sales team's performance in this, their training, their resources has a big impact on how quickly they'll move through the pipeline. But what kind of prospects are you attracting? What state of mind are they in? What state of their journey uh, are they appearing in? Is the, is the rest of the team enabled, is the sales team enabled to then pull them through the pipeline? Are you creating marketing experiences and messages that are propagating your message out in the market? Is your Is your message or your attention base compounding in growth? Are you creating communities and networks or are you attempting to attract prospects uh, on simply a transactional basis? The idea of setting the right metrics requires you to reflect on the objectives that are important to the different functions of the team, and they are essentially, uh, if I was to really simplify it, revenue, profitability, customer growth, velocity in your sales pipeline, so time to close deals, Volume of pipeline, and this is a really critical point because when we talk volume of pipeline, often we mistake things like marketing qualified leads or general inquiries as the size of your pipeline. This is one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen inside companies. The the size of your pipeline, the volume of your pipeline has to be measured from the point at which your prospect is expressing a high degree of intent. If I generate a thousand marketing qualified leads and I'm converting uh, 14 of those into deals, my pipeline is not a thousand leads. My pipeline is probably the th- the 30 or 60 odd prospects that expressed a degree of intent after a period of time. And maybe that required your SDRs to work with that prospect base for several weeks before they actually became high intent. So you have to wind back to the metrics that your marketing marketing is optimizing campaigns for and then channel your efforts and activities towards uh, that goal post. Now, moving on from there, uh, one of the things I recognized having worked both in B2C and B2B environments is that the two are not actually that much different. And there's a lot of debate and consensus around this, one way or the other. The biggest difference that I felt between B2B and B2C environments is that the person you're selling to wants to protect themselves. That's the bottom line. I work in a role where uh, I could be a mid or senior level manager. I could even be an executive leader. And I don't want to make decisions that are going to be the detriment of the ecosystem. I'm I'm going to decide on something. Obviously, I'll decide on something if it makes sense because I think it will solve a particular problem. It's a solution to a problem that I have. Either you made me recognize it or I recognize it already and I was looking for a solution. I'm not feeling a high degree of what we call buyer's risk. I'm not feeling like making this decision is going to make uh, it, it is going to make my life or job difficult down the line. And I'm feeling confident in taking it to the influencers and the stakeholders around the company. The AE or the marketer, anyone that's involved in the sales process, your sole purpose is When working with a specific prospect, so I'm not uh, talking about the entire company or uh, influencer base here, when working with a specific person or creating a marketing message or sales conversation for a specific person, one of the things you want to do, one of the main things you want to do is reduce their perception of the risk involved with the decision that they're going to make to buy from you. Reduce the risk involved with recommending what you're offering to the rest of their team. And to support that objective, what you really need to reflect on is the collateral assets, messages, conversations that we're sharing with this person. How are they serving them? How are they reducing their risk? But then also, how are we enabling them to reduce the risk of the people they'll go and sell to inside their company? So if they are going to take this message to the CFO, what's important to that person? How can they understand that what you're going to provide them with is going to reduce their their risk you have to design your marketing messages and sales conversations in a way where you're reducing the risk of anyone that will be involved in that buying process so the next conversation i wanted to have was around aligning your go-to-market strategy with the state and capability of your sales team you might have a team with quality sales professionals and although uh, if they can't do this next bit i might question whether they're quality but You can have quality sales professionals, but marketing team changes tactics or campaigns, starts putting a different set of messages out there. And now the same team cannot handle the prospects coming through. Your conversions conversions decline. We could argue that perhaps we're bringing in the wrong people now, or that we're, uh, we're making the wrong promises on the front end. That's a different situation. But in some scenarios, you've got an audience base That we can solve a problem for we're making the right offers putting the right messages out there hitting the right segments but the sales professionals for a period of time at least they now can't serve these people with the same effectiveness that they were before and oftentimes this is a training or coaching uh, challenge there might be a management issue in here your uh, go-to-market has a heavy influence on what your uh, sales process model needs to look like the way your sales pipeline is managed there's a number of things that could be, uh, could be issues when you make changes to these inputs inside your GTM. And if your revenue leaders are not effective in managing this kind of change, that's where the break happens. Now working in an agency-client relationship many times, uh, because uh, I, I feel, and I'd, I'd love to have anyone contest this, I feel that irrespective of how ingrained we get with the team, we are always still sitting on the outside of a company that we work with. We've, over the years, I've developed some strong partnerships and relationships, but the team in an agency is still sitting outside a company. So we don't often get to have the same kind of, we usually don't get to have the same kind of ownership that an internal team would. So we can launch effective revenue programs, put out campaigns and messages and content, all, all sorts of things into the market, but we don't always, we may not always get the same degree or ability to make or change uh, behaviors within the sales team. So without being able to influence that or understand what the uh, breakdown is there, if we don't have a relationship where the advice is being taken on, it can create a real friction point. So this is something that I spent uh, a lot of time battling over the years. And we had, we've worked with people that have been really effective in this, that have led us into their companies. And uh, I've even, uh, I've had instances where we've, implemented new CRM uh, rollouts, uh, coached entire sales teams on uh, developing new processes and using the CRM and we get to align the whole marketing and sales ecosystem. But this isn't always the case, but at least at a granular level, this is something your focus needs to be on if you're a B2B marketer. So the next lesson that I've learned and something I feel really strongly about. And it may even be just one of the most important things that uh, I've worked on and practiced over the years is The Art of Revenue Innovation, Validating, Scaling and Stacking Your Wins. To build a high growth revenue engine inside any company, let alone B2B companies, you will need to conduct experiments to identify uh, revenue programs that create real success for you. Now, when we talk about experimenting, we can speak about it at a macro level which is the channels, tactics, and activities are at a higher level that we choose to invest in. These are the revenue programs. We can talk about it at a micro level. And this is your CRO exercises. It's the specific campaigns or content or messages that you're testing at a more granular level. Irrespective of which uh, format we're speaking about this in, we have to recognize that experimentation is necessary driving revenue growth or building an innovative revenue engine but not all experimentation leads to innovation for those of you out there that have practiced the growth hacking mentality maybe read Sean Ellis's books or uh, been involved in the community for a period of time experimenting is on everyone's lips this is something that we're ingrained with as marketers in the B2B or technology space particularly but there's a danger to this in that we, ha- we have to consider that not everything, not every experiment is a valid experiment. So then what's the solution to this? You have to adopt a systematic way to test, validate, scale and operationalize revenue programs that will create immense success. A lot of the companies that uh, I've worked with over the years, in fact, the vast majority are often taking a stab at different channels or tactics they're they're trying essentially anything that comes along uh, the way and the reason this happens is because you will inevitably uh, when you're when you're looking to identify and scale revenue programs you're inevitably going to work with competing priorities You'll, you may be working with limited budget and resources. You'll have struggles with getting buy-in from the team members around you. One project will be exchanged for another. And if you're a team, if you're a marketing team of several people or more, if you've got a leadership team, which is um, a couple of uh, C, C-level execs, uh, if you've got a big revenue team, you've already got so many variables that can cause friction and challenges in coming up with and launching new programs. and the likelihood of competing resources that unless you can develop a systematic way to get everyone on the same page, identify programs, uh, validate those programs, launch them, scale them, operationalize them and make them a part of your constant ecosystem. You will have a very difficult time as an organization finding real innovation in your revenue system. If you're going to identify, validate, test, launch, scale, and operationalize revenue programs that drive real revenue success you'll need a systematic way to do it if you want to get the team on the same page you want to get the capital the resources the budget you want to get the buy-in from people around you and you want to do all of this with the least amount of risk in running programs that may not drive success then you have to adopt a systematic way to do this I'm going to talk a lot more about this over the coming uh, weeks and we'll do a deep dive into this particular piece but Uh, this is absolutely critical. So building on the last conversation, uh, the, the next lesson I learned and something that I picked up heavily through the agency experience was the importance of setting expectations ahead. You have to have all of your, you have to have your leadership, revenue teams, marketing teams, anyone involved in the process aligned in expectations when you embark on the process of implementing activities that haven't been tested. If you're launching marketing or revenue programs that Don't yet have proven success you are going to inevitably have a period of unknowns there's going to be a timeline within which you don't necessarily know whether what you're doing is going to work or not now we can minimize that by working with people or around people that have uh, uh, proven um, intelligence and experiences when you work with an agency that has the background they might have already tested a number of things so you're getting advice from sound sources you can minimize that however irrespective of that, you have to practice or you have to learn to set expectations with everyone involved. Otherwise, it becomes very easy for leadership or involved stakeholders to cut budgets, cut resources and create essentially chaos uh, because the programs you're running are not yet yielding a result, but they also don't know whether they will yield a result. So it's like walking through the jungle. You're walking through a dark jungle. You're unsure of what the direction is. Therefore, it's very difficult to stay bought into that decision. When you're investing in new revenue programs or activities, you will always have, or should have, metrics for validation. What is your validation point? This program will drive X number of deals to us. It could be 100 deals over this period of time, and that is largely, it's partly subjective, largely objective. That will, so th- this metric will tell us that this activity is now validated. We can we can now scale this, operationalize it, look at how we can make it repeatable. On the other hand, if you haven't yet achieved a metric or uh, success that validates the activity, you have to practice looking for positive signals. So you've got to define what those positive signals are. If you've implemented now, if you've launched a new podcast and you're not yet generating deals from this podcast but you're able to take the podcast and send it out to 100 of your prospects the SDRs are, wor- uh, are using it to build relationships by sharing the content and getting qualitative feedback and you're getting exceptional feedback this is a signal that we can rely on to continue that effort and that could be the signal that you can use to set expectations with the team around you or at least keep the buy-in long enough to allow you to continue that activity. Seventh lesson was the importance of planning ahead. So since we have to practice innovation or experimenting in a systematic approach and we have to set expectations ahead, it goes without saying that we need to be planning initiatives ahead. Again, this is at a macro and a micro level. If we, if you're looking at the optimization of campaigns and and running experiments to optimize the immediate efforts or activities. You never want to end up in a situation where you're not thinking several days or several weeks ahead and keeping a schedule to manage all of the growth ideas and experiments. Now, generating experiments and ideas inevitably comes from the feedback that you collect from the market. So not all ideas can be planned for ahead of time, but the the situation that you don't want to end up in is investing a substantial degree of effort or resources into a particular hypothesis, thinking or track, rolling it out, failing, and then realizing we don't have anything to build on from there. So you want to plan ahead and be prepared for, uh, be prepared for experiments and ideas that you can implement. You don't want to get into a situation where you're at the mercy of your leadership now, where they uh, you framed that you were getting something out into the market and now uh, that's not worked out, but you don't have any future direction in place. So the eighth lesson I learned along the way was quite simply, know what you want to be known for. And this stems from having worked with so many companies where marketing, sales, leadership, any one or many of the teams often can't tell you what they want to be known for or they don't align in what they think they want to be known for meaning you're either not clear on your value propositions you're not clear on the problem or problems that you're solving who you're solving them for and because of that disconnect or the lack thereof you're not creating messages campaigns sales experiences and customer experiences thereafter that serve those things the challenge with that is if you don't have at the simplest level, we can call this the elevator pitch. right? If you have an elevator pitch, and the same pitch is being repeated by every single person in the company everywhere you go, shows up in every marketing message, every campaign, every engagement, and your values are reflected throughout each of those engagements. It makes it really easy for people to propagate your message through the community, as much as it is for you to communicate it through your campaigns, we can run effective campaigns, find the perfect message, find the perfect uh, offer, the perfect value propositions, but there is nothing that quite builds your profile like building a community that propagates your message throughout the market, and we want to capitalize on both. We want, to, we want to be clear in ourselves and across the teams on who we are, what we stand for, what we offer. We want to ensure that that is translated throughout the entire marketing and sales ecosystem and then we wanna repeat it with, with as much frequency as possible so that it sits in with the market, they propagate it throughout their own networks and we become known for a thing. And just to add to this before I close this part of the conversation off, I think at the simplest level, if you think about the most renowned influences that you might be following, business, leisure, fitness of, of any kind, they almost always are saying really one or two things in a hundred different ways, but they repeat the same one or two messages, things that they stand for, and repeat it again and again and again and again. And the same thing applies to brands as well. And that's really the effect that we're looking for. So know what you want to be known for and layer that throughout your marketing and sales ecosystem. I wanted to close the conversation out today with a discussion about offers. And lesson number nine, by no means the least important, was around crafting offers and what it means to craft an irresistible offer. As marketers, we craft offers all the time. We understand what they are. We, we practice creating them. There's nothing new here. But when we craft offers, so I'm speaking about it in two different contexts. We can, ha- we can look at offers as the, the, the offers created for an exchange of commercial value, and this is at the point of deal making. So it's converting the prospect uh, into a customer or into your funnel, or it's the exchange of value that we offer to create a relationship or further a relationship. And these could be the webinars, lead magnets, or any other touch point that you're using. Now, secondly, when you're creating offers to start a relationship or build an existing relationship with a prospect, there are three things that will determine how effective that offer uh, or tactic is and that's utility, entertainment and timing. You want to make it as useful as possible. You want to provide as much utility to the person as possible and you want to do it in an you want to do it in a manner that's as easy to consume as possible. Lead magnets worked really well 10-15 years ago when they were first introduced as a concept because we primarily used the internet on our desktops. Now, not so much. The impact of a of a lead magnet is declining and has done for done so for many years. Especially when you notice a lot of the lead magnets that we download, if you open them up on your phones, you can't read the thing. So that's one rudimentary example of where you have to consider the person on the other side and ensure that you're maximizing utility. The next thing is entertainment. Not everything needs to be humorous or hilarious, but if you can build an element of entertainment value to the thing that you're offering people, the experience that you're offering them, it makes it memorable and it makes it much more likely to be consumed by the person on the other side. The last thing was timing. You have to time the office correctly. If you've just started a relationship with someone, it goes without saying that you don't jump 10 steps ahead. And pulling them into a uh, nine day workshop or boot camp with my particular company uh, may not be the best jump forward, but uh, having someone bought into a 60 minute webinar or live call for a very specific problem, so high utility. Uh, that's going to solve an issue for this person on the other side, on that first touch, that could be, uh, that would likely be the right experience to start the relationship with. So you have to time the offers right, and this is a practice you have to learn over a period of time um, to understand what touch points work for you. And with that, I'm gonna close out today's conversation. Uh, I think we're, we're just on time for what we were hoping to uh, cover this session off in if you've stayed tuned until the end i'd uh, appreciate it if you've got questions comments or thoughts coming out from the conversation that you shoot across at us helps us create better content and build on the conversations we start like i said in the beginning all the topics we went through we're going to be doing deep dives on these and looking at practical scenarios and methods and strategies to build on these learnings in a live environment so uh, if you're interested in hearing about these or being a part of these convers- conversations one subscribe to our channels on um, apple podcast spotify youtube uh, follow me on linkedin join in wherever you can on the conversation and stay tuned for what's coming up ahead uh, i'm sure you'll find it exciting once we get into the conversations in the coming weeks thank you <laughs>